New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. Today, we're speaking with Anto Ficatier. He's the editorial director for Western Europe at Ypols, which is the leading authority on Gen Z and millennial opinions and behaviors. And he's here to give us an update on the attitudes and behaviors of young consumers in Western Europe. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Every month, I have an interview that covers new research into young consumers' trends and attitudes, and typically the conversation is anchored in research that Ypulse has conducted in North America. But Ypulse doesn't only conduct research in North America, it also looks at young consumers in Western Europe, and so we're checking in with you to give us an update on how young consumers in Western Europe are feeling and what they're focused on. But before we dive into that conversation about the ways in which young consumers in Western Europe are unique or may differentiate themselves from North America or be the same as North America. Can you give listeners a bit of context about Ypulse's work in Western Europe, which countries you're looking at, who you're surveying, how many people you're surveying, how old they are, how often you're talking to them? Yes, of course. So Ypulse has been present in Western Europe for just about two years now. We are in five different countries in Western Europe, the UK, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. For each country, our base respondent is 500, which means that for the whole region, we have 2,500 respondents. Now, because Ypols is specialized in uh, young people, we are only serving people of age 13 all the way to 39 years old, which basically encompasses two generations, Gen Z and millennials. Fantastic. This summer has been crazy for weather in the U.S. The ocean temperatures off the coast of Florida were over 100 degrees Fahrenheit and ocean currents could collapse as soon as next year. How are things in Western Europe and how are young consumers feeling about climate change? Well, uh, Gabriela, I'm afraid I'm not bringing better news. It's also pretty bad in in Europe too. You know, the summer has been extremely hot, in especially in southern Spain with you know, waves of, of heat waves. The old continent is just increasingly getting used to hotter summer and kind of wilder winters. So we've definitely seen the impact of uh, climate change. And what we're seeing among young consumers is that climate change uh, is definitely on top of their priorities. You know, it's one of the the biggest uh, problems they say their uh, generation is facing right now. It's also one of the the top social cause they uh, they care about. So it's it's definitely something that is on young consumers' minds in Western Europe. How does it compare to young consumers in North America. So if you're a brand and you are familiar with sort of where it sits for North American young consumers, how important is it to to young consumers in Western Europe? Like what percentage would say that climate change is an immediate risk to human life? In Western Europe, we have 78% of young consumers who, you know, tell us that climate change is a immediate threat to human life. So it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it tells you that this generation is is very aware of uh, climate change. And it, it makes sense, right? Because they, they kind of grew up with it. It's not something that they, they don't know world uh, before all those uh, wild summers and, 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 and crazy heat waves. So uh, it is definitely that, something that they see 
as uh, an immediate threat right now. Does that mean that buying decisions are changing because of it? Sometimes we have an acknowledgement of a feeling or a concern, but then behavioral changes don't necessarily link up. Are you seeing changing in buying? Or other behaviors? Gabriela, that's a question that brands constantly ask us. They constantly come to us and say, listen, we, we are hearing different things about young consumers. We are hearing that you know they spend a lot of money on fast fashion. And at the same time, we hear that they care about the environment. The environment. So what should we do? And there's definitely a bit of a either or. Uh, I think it's really important to for brands to keep in mind that young people are broke, right? They are also navigating a very, very tough economic environment. And so, you know, they're trying their best to uh, manage their budget uh, while caring for the environment. It's a bit of a conundrum from the outside, but it's a bit their way to to manage the situation. What what I usually tell clients is that although we we know that young consumers love uh, fast fashion and we know that they care about the environment, they they have eco practices, right? So, Right now in Western Europe, there's a real boom in the resale uh, business, right? So many brands are putting in place platforms so young consumers can resell their products. And that's, you know, a, a, a very eco-friendly practice that young consumers are, are just getting used to. Instead of buying something new, buying it secondhand, that's probably the most eco-practice that they could that they can put in place in their lives right now. Right. So it's a a reflection, reduction in spending is a reflection of economic situation, but also an environmental, it's a twofer. And so they're driven by the economics to to make choices. So they may be making fast fashion choices as much due to the price point as the fashion of it all. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's completely fair to say, and and you know, brands need to understand that uh, it's not it's not an either or. It's working together. They have to manage their budget while taking care of the environment. And so, young consumers are creative. Many, many actually in, in uh, Western Europe, we have seventy seven percent of young consumers who who tell us they have changed their behavior in order to help fight climate change, which is a huge number. So they are. They are definitely doing things in order to fight climate change. What is that change? What would they call? Is it a purchase, a choice difference, or is it is it just buying resale, you know, recycled clothing? What is it? Did did you dig deeper into that? Yeah, we we did actually, and it's it's basically three different aspects. There's the 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 type of products they buy, so they are you know a bit more. They're looking a bit more for brands that are making an effort when it comes to eco products and you know where the materials come from. And it's really interesting in Western Europe, all the governments are kind of pushing the fast fashion industry in this direction. And you know there are talks about putting in place a, a materials passport, which means every item of clothing that you see in a in a shop would have you could very clearly see where where all the ingredients and all the materials that make the fabric come from so those oh, kind of initiatives yeah I'm sure that's, the brands are fighting that definitely young consumers are you know more aware of the type of product they buy it's also the way they shop right so i just mentioned earlier uh, that they are more sensitive, that they are more into the resale economy. But it's not just that. There's also a big boom of renting clothes. And that's something that, you know, many brands in the industries are, 
trying to do right now to provide uh, rental platforms for for young consumers. So yeah, these are examples of the the way young consumers shop differently. Mm-hmm. And of course, they, there's the amount of products. Overall, they're trying to reduce the amount of products they buy. Thinking macro, pulling back a bit, this sort of speaks just to the economic lay of the land there. What is the economic situation in Western Europe? Just to understand the context, I mean, people know in the United States, there were a lot of worries around recession, but and also inflation, but things have settled down. People are feeling a bit more bullish on how things are going to go. How is inflation in Western Europe and how are people feeling about the economy? Are feel, people feeling like you know, they're going to be employed? So if we're thinking about disposable income of the youth generation, how how does that look? What's the forecast look like? The, the, the two cultures are quite different when it comes to uh, to jobs. So, you know, for young Europeans, it's it's less a worry about losing your job, which is, you know, definitely something that we're seeing among young consumers in North America. But, you know, definitely inflation has been crazy in, in the past year. Cost of living in general, you know, bills went up by crazy numbers. So when we ask young consumers, you know, have you seen your, your bills increase? Nine in, tel- in 10 tell us, yes, they have. And and 80% tell them that they try to save, but at the same time, they're trying to to still have a good time. So we're hearing a lot of despair among young young consumers right now. They have difficulties just, you know, making end meet. And it's also super hard for the for the fresh graduates to, you know, to find jobs. And rents are also going crazy. I mean, yeah, no, it's definitely a difficult time for well, to right. be a young person. Right. <laughs> so if you're, if you're looking at trying to get some of that disposable income, understanding where they are is is interesting. One of the things that in the information you sent in advance of our conversation was that one of the ways in which young people were starting to trim back on costs was a Netflix subscriptions. They were down. I'm curious in terms of context, did other streamers and other subscriptions also face a loss of subscribers? That is, is it a Netflix problem or is it a subscription as a business model? Model problem. We use Netflix as an example here at White Pulse. We we talked about it in in articles just because it was was wide, widely reported in the in the press, and it, it kind of serves as a as an example because Netflix is a brand that is really really loved by young consumers. Okay. But at the same time, right now they are they are reevaluating where where they spend their money. And so we asked them, you know, more specifically, what do you what do you do in order to save money? And their top two answers were to cut on uh, food expenses. And the second answer was to cut down on entertainment expenses, which is why, you know, Netflix is is a bit under pressure because young consumers, when times are tough, are simply re-evaluating, reevaluating where they spend their money. And they're looking at a bit more closely at their budget as they, they used to probably. And and yes, they're looking at subscriptions, all sorts of subscriptions. Well, right. So I guess the digging in a little bit more, because in the US, Netflix is is in terms of where it sits in the mind of the young consumer, it's in a really enviable position vis-a-vis other streamers, other entertainment brands. How does Netflix rank 
in Western Europe in terms of entertainment brands and choices? So in terms of entertainment brands, and Netflix is basically one of the most used platforms among young parents. And it's really competing with YouTube when it comes to video content. Okay. It's really those those, uh, those two platforms are, are the most used by, by young Europeans. And is that but, a subscri- the subscribed YouTube or the free YouTube? That is the free YouTube. Okay. And actually, it's a, it's a really good question that you're asking because um, Netflix is trying really hard to diversify its uh, offering a bit. Um, and, you know, there's been the same crackdown on shared passwords um, uh, in North America as Western Europe. And mm. there's been... For young people, I don't know if you saw, but there were a lot of memes and 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 Twitter uh, exchanges about how for young people sharing passwords is is a sign of love. You know how young consumers bring humor into the the conversation, just to show that it, it was probably not the best time to, to crack down on uh, shared passwords, um, just because young people rely on on them heavily. But Netflix tried, you know, to be a bit more creative. I know that in the UK they try to to bring less expensive subscriptions but with with more ads just trying Mm -hmm. to diversify a bit in order not to lose completely the love that young people have for the brand right right now switching switching gears in july there was some civil unrest in france and it felt a bit reminiscent watching from here in the u.s a bit like the black lives matter protests can you put what happened in France into context and talk about how diverse this generation is, how the youth feel about what was going on there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So there are a few cultural things which are really important to to take into account. There's a, a real difference in Europe between the way the UK is dealing with diversity and the way the rest of the continent is. You know, the, the UK and Ireland are the only two countries in Western Europe, in Europe, generally speaking, where it's possible to collect data based on ethnicity. Mm. It's it's simply not possible to do so in, in other European countries. And the reason why the UK and Ireland do so is because they have an approach to diversity that is pretty much similar to, to North America, which is we need we need data in order to kind of correct our policies and you know, maybe put in place quotas and, and, and stuff like that. Whereas in, in, in Western, in, in Europe, the, the situation is, is quite different. In many countries, there's the idea that we shouldn't talk about, about race, that, you know, we shouldn't be able to ask questions about people's ethnicity. I'm from France, so I can tell you about this topic. I was raised in, in an environment when, where I was told, uh, don't mention the concept of race. It's, it, it doesn't exist. We shouldn't be talking about race um, at all. So it's but is um, there so not to talk about it this is this sort of the directive is there a sense that we may not talk about it but it exists as a thing that has influence and impact that there are structural racism elements is that something that people oh, believe exist yes yeah okay. yes definitely and the unrest that we've uh, that we've seen was was both based on um ethnic um, inequalities and also economic inequalities in the countries and and they are very linked you know there's a um, there's a history of uh, waves of uh, migrants who came to countries like Italy France Spain and have never really been their origin and the, and the diversity they bring to the country have, has never really been acknowledged mm. and you know they just feel that they are there will always be strangers in the in the country they they immigrated to and bring unfortunately a lot of tensions what we know what young people tell us in western europe is that they 
they think racism is getting worse. You know, uh, 39% think that racism is getting worse in, in their country. And racism was actually the top social cause that young Europeans care about. What's interesting for me, though, <laughs> is it, if it at 39%, they feel it's getting worse, how many of them think it's a problem? So if we're trying to look at the environmental, you had 78% feeling that it's an existential threat, climate change. And if racism is the top issue, so it must be more than 78% think it's a, an issue. Right. So when it comes to social causes, you know, it, it is one question that we ask young consumers. We gave them a long list of, of many different social causes and we asked them, you know, which are the one you're the most passionate about? So it's more of a ranking oh, really see. than looking at, you know, the percentage because it's it's really the the how the way they rank those those issues. Okay. And what we're saying is racism is on top of the list. And, and climate change is not too far behind. Mm. But racism is definitely, it's a, it's a big change compared to the different years. And it's definitely due to the tensions that young Europeans are seeing on the ground in their in their countries when it comes to, to race. Does this tension translate into political polarization or no? Yes. Okay. The answer is yes. And that is something I wanted to, to tell you about. When it comes to the environment, the environment is not really political in Western Europe, right? Um, it is, know, in, the, it the, is in North America. That's interesting. And, so the environment is, yes. is just everybody's in it, whereas the, exactly. the racism is a politically polarizing event. That's fascinating. Exactly. And what we're seeing is the rise of you know the far right in, in many European countries. And these are countries where you can't have data on on different ethnicities. So it's, you know, can it's you, really hard. Can you to... get at things because you, you joined ethnic and economic inequality. Are you able to get economic data? Can you use economic yes. data to to speak to some of it? Like is the is the wealth gap? I mean, here in the US, the wealth gap is is increasing. Is it also increasing there? Because oftentimes what you have is political polarization happens around stuff, right? Who has access to things? And if you're talking yeah. about in a scarcity mindset where people are worried about jobs, worried about, you know, if they're cutting how much they're spending on food, that not just entertainment, but food. What does that mean? Where, where does where does that go? I guess that was sort of a weird segue. But anyway, getting back to diversity is diversity. So even though you can't measure or ask questions around diversity in any country other than the UK and Northern Ireland, diversity itself, it's important for brands. Young consumers want to see themselves in brand advertising. And if it's an entertainment brand and brand content, is that also true in Western Europe? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. What we're seeing, and we were able, we did a, a whole report on, on the diversity and, and representation. Mm. What we're seeing is that young Europeans uh, really want diversity to be represented in, in advertising. Now, diversity obviously is a lot more than seeing different ethnicities on, on, on screen or in, in ads, right? For for Gen Z and millennials, diversity is about uh, showing different bodies, different genders, different sexual orientations, different ethnicity, different religions as well. And they are increasingly wanting to, to see more of that from ads. And, you know, an interesting finding from, from our report is that young consumers link diversity with positive feelings. So whenever they think of a, a brand that is uh, representing diversity, they think positively about right. Uh, the brand. So that's really something that we've been communicating to the brands we work with is, you know, do increase your your 
diversity offerings when it comes to marketing and, and advertising because young Europeans want to see that. Do young consumers feel that their identity is Western Europe or do young consumers feel their identity is France or Spain or, you know? If nationalism is somewhat on the rise in terms of political polarization and it's linked to anti-diversity thinking, right? That's there is where your political polarization is. How do young consumers feel about that? Where do they land? Well, young consumers, you know, definitely feel more global than previous generations. And as you said, Europe is the, the home birth of nationalism, right? We, we've been used to seeing countries next to one another and with very strong and historical cultures. Right. But young appearance are, you know, also the traveler's generation. Travel is huge among Gen Z and millennials right now in Western Europe. And they've been encouraged by their governments to to travel and to discover the world and discover the region as well. So there's definitely a feeling uh, among the younger generations that we are European slash global citizens, you know, before perhaps even before our nation. You know, one of the things that you sent over in your materials mentioned something called sabbaticals. And from my point of view, that's something a professor takes, but nobody else outside of academia ever takes a sabbatical. What is a sabbatical? And it, it, the way it looked like, it's almost like a rite of passage that everybody culturally cross country participates in. What is a sabbatical and where does it yeah. fall in terms of, yes, everybody does it or no, it's mostly picking on France. It's mostly people from France. Who who goes on sabbaticals? What are they? <laughs> well, you know, it's a very interesting trend sabbatical because it is linked to other areas of young consumers' lives. So, you know, employment, but it's also their well-being and their love for traveling. Think of it this way. For, for boomers, you would work 40 years of your life and then once you've entered your 41st, you're you're done, you're retired, and then you're gonna enjoy traveling with your with your family to to places you've always wanted to be. Now, Gen Z and millennials are a lot more um why doing something tomorrow when you can do it today. And it's exactly the same with, with sabbaticals. Sabbaticals are you know, time that they carve out in their lives in order mostly to travel, um, to discover the world. And it's something that is that they're asking the employers if they can take time off. Um, How for, long is a sabbatical though? I mean, is it, I mean, here in the US, you get maybe two weeks vacation. So is it two weeks so or it's, is it a month so or it's what not, is it? So it's or is not it a vacation. full break? Okay, it's it not is, vacation. It is, it's three to six months of, of long break. You know, I've, I've got so many examples in my my, my friend Sally went on a sabbatical just a few a few months ago. And she did that because she she got fired from her job. And so instead of looking for a job, she was like, you know what, I'm going to I need a break. I'm going to travel for she went for four months. And well, you know, I'm, I'm going to towards the end of my trip, I'm going to look for a job. And Guess what? She found a job pretty easily when towards the end of her trip. And as soon as she came back to London, she was able to, to work. So it's it's in between jobs, but some of them also taking sabbaticals during their jobs. And that's something that, you know, it's fascinating conversation that we have with brands as brands as employers, right? Who tell us, well, how do we deal with Gen Z? They've been working with us for not even 18 months, and they're already asking to take a four months break. You know, what should we do? <laughs> right, right. And that's, and, and it's, it's almost seen as a, as a, it's a right to, to take a break for, for Gen Z and millennials to, to travel. 
And it doesn't mean they don't, they don't like their job. It does mean it's really important for their mental health. Will they come back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so it's do. not it's not like I'm I'm quiet quitting, but I'm gonna just say I'm taking the sabbatical. Are people paid while they're on sabbatical or are they unpaid while they're on sabbatical? Typically, typically unpaid. So you know it also reflects the it's not a generation that is living for saving. Okay. And that's something we're seeing here in, in, in Western Europe. Young Europeans don't they want to live their life to its full. And that includes traveling too. And there's no reason to delay traveling for five years when you can travel now, basically, is the mindset. Fascinating. One last question. It wouldn't be a Y-Pulse interview if we didn't talk a teeny bit about social media. One of the facts <laughs> that you shared was that be real gone away over there. And it, it was a it had sort of a blip in North America, but it it it's sort of particularly big in France again. I'm picking up France. What is yeah. going on? What is going on there? Why why are why is it what purpose does it serve there? What is happening? Well, so first of all, you know, Burial it was started by by by, by French oh, entrepreneurs. Okay. So it is. That might be a, why. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> There's a reason why it's it's a bit bigger in France than in other countries. But you know what we're seeing is young consumers still like the element of the anti-social social media, if you will. It's 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 seen a bit as it's this small platform that was started in France, made in France, right? And that is going after your Instagram and Big Corp Facebook, right? So it's still kind of sticking among young consumers in the in the region. What we are seeing, there is a bit of a loss of interest, to be completely honest with you. What we are what okay. we're seeing in data, it's it's a bit plateauing. Uh, the interest that uh, young Europeans have for for beering, but it's definitely more than consumers in in North America. Right, fascinating. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing all the updates about Western Europe. I love it. It was great to be with you, Gabriela. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next. <laughs>